0: Hello and welcome to episode four of Half Stack Data Science, the podcast for all the great people out there doing data science in what we call the real world. I'm Sean McGur PhD, and I'm here with David Asboth, MSC. Quite right. Gotta rip those creds when you can. <laughs> David, what's happened since the last episode?
1: Well, since the last episode we're officially live as a podcast.
0: Now we... Also in that other timeline where what we say goes into the real world, now people can hear us. Recently, they'll be able to hear us say the things on their phone.
1: Yes, so we've we've had a few episodes sitting around. Yep. on various cloud storage. Yeah, waiting, <laughs> waiting, <laughs> waiting to be solutions, waiting to be released into the real world. Uh, but we're live now. Uh, we have That's a website, great. halfstackdatascienc.e.com. No hyphen anywhere. No hyphen. Just halfstackdatascienc.e.com. The podcast is available on iTunes, Google, Stitcher,
0: SoundCloud, Pocket Casts. Probably some other places that... I,
1: I could find it on AntennaPod, so okay. plenty of places.
0: They all subscribe to each other and then copy those files and hopefully the metadata.
1: Yep, cool. yep it's all available. Uh, so please leave a comment, uh, rate us on iTunes and wherever else you can do that. And if you have any questions, comments, please do get in touch with us. We're on Twitter. Uh, we're also on email at hello at halfstackdatascience.com. Again, no hyphens. No hyphens. Um, but it's, information's all there on the website, and we always tweet about it. So plenty of ways to tell us what you think. If you're listening, you should be
0: able to find us again. <laughs> yeah,
1: I was, th- I was thinking of saying a thing like, if you have another podcast app that you listen to and we're not on there, please let us know. But how would you know to tell us that if you
0: can't hear us That's on your favorite podcast? That's a problem, whenever <laughs> I've heard one. So I think we're going to aim for an episode roughly every two weeks. Sometimes more often, if we have even more to say. So far, we've found we have plenty. Uh, And another thing that's happened since we launched the podcast is that some colleagues and friends have asked, why does the world need another data science podcast? Which, it's not a bad question. Yeah, you you mean
1: apart from the fact that we like the sound of our own voice?
0: Yeah, yeah, well, that's a good reason for podcasts in general. But why a data science podcast, (laughs) except that's what we do for a job.
1: Yeah, uh, we, we've had this thought for a while. I mean, we, we've we had these conversations between among ourselves
0: for over a year now. Uh, I mean, the first time we met, we probably started some of the threads that we're now pulling on and turning into something a little more. Exactly. Yeah,
1: We, we, we were both immersed enough in data science to have these similar thoughts about it. And when, whenever we've spoken to people at meetups and conferences mm-hmm. and sort of shared some of the ideas that we have about data science and how it's different the way we do it, um, other people who also work in enterprises have said, yeah. yeah, we face some of the same problems and we have the same constraints and glad we're not the only ones that yeah. find this really hard yeah. uh, in, in a different
0: way from the way we thought data science would be hard. Um, so I guess if you, yeah, the answer to our friends who asked, why do we need another data science podcast so we, we do this for the enterprise data scientists out there at the coalface, generally outside technology companies, I think. A lot of the think pieces and hot takes out there on, on the internet seem focused just on what data science is at technology-first companies, if we can call them that. Uh, that's not the whole story, I think, as you've maybe got the impression as we've talked through the first three episodes.
1: Yeah, and, and every time we talk about this, the fact that there's a whole enterprise data science scene out there, yeah. I always get reminded by the fact that, well, first of all, that it's not really a scene, right? Yeah, yeah. It's that's actually quite hard to find these people. Mm, good point. But, but also, it reminds me of an article that when I read it in my, uh, back in my developer days, a long time ago. Good old days. Good old days. Uh, it's an article by uh, Scott Hanselman, who's a developer advocate. I don't know his exact job title, but he's yeah. a developer advocate at Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he writes about like, the latest and greatest .NET developments, but he wrote this really great blog post, which I will um, link to in the show notes, which we have now officially online. Yeah,
0: great.
1: Uh, so he talks about uh, what he calls dark matter developers. Mm. So I'll, I'll read some of the, the post, because he talks about it a lot better than I do. So he says, I quote, My coworker and I hypothesize that there's another kind of developer than the ones we meet all the time. And this is me talking, and I think he means that not at conferences. Yeah. So not at the latest, done at yeah. conferences. So he says, we call them dark matter developers. They don't read a lot of blogs. They never write blogs. They don't go to user groups. They don't tweet or Facebook. And you often don't see them at large conferences. So where are these dark matter developers? Probably getting work done. Maybe using ASP.NET 1.1 at a local municipality or a small office. Maybe working at a bottling plant in Mexico using VB6. Uh, perhaps they're writing PHP calendar applications at a large chip manufacturer. And so this keeps reminding me that there's a bunch of people out there doing some sort of data analysis with legacy systems like Access yep. or old databases, old versions of SQL in enterprise environments that aren't geared to, to do mass data analysis. Not to
0: the level of general tech innovation that the Googles and Facebooks of the world are just, it's in their DNA.
1: Yeah. And so maybe they don't even call it data science, yeah. right? And, and yeah. that's why they're not on, on the hype train. They're not at all the conferences. Do they
0: listen to podcasts?
1: I don't know. I hope so. It's a,
0: <laughs> this is it's a meta question that we yeah, hadn't thought about before. Yeah.
1: And yeah. And, and I just thought that 90, 99% of the market potentially, maybe in data science is different Proportion, but mm. they're working within some serious enterprise constraints using technologies uh, that are older. They're not they're not up to date on the latest machine learning yeah. uh, algorithms or, or uh, technologies. And they might um, be getting the job done. They're getting the job done, and they they have an interesting job with with constraints that are different, mm. uh, and it's an interesting challenge, uh, nevertheless.
0: Yeah, interesting and different. Yeah, so. All the great work that those dark matter developers and .NET land or half-stake data scientists, dare I say, it, you know, are doing every day. If you just follow the hype cycle online about data science, you just miss that. All of that work, all of that value that's being created in enterprises, mm. where there's a huge amount of value to unlock, is just not accounted for. You'd think everyone is doing data science just like Google do it, which is presumably doing the best in the most leading edge things on the most data. And yeah, well, they'll,
1: get, they'll get the most likes on Medium, right, when yeah, they post about yeah, yeah. how they
0: do their work. Yeah, yeah. So if you recall that first episode uh, where we set up Type A academic and Type B more business-focused data scientists, the, the point there, and you know, it's running through the whole podcast, is it's okay for people doing data science to specialize differently, and it might even be precisely what our field and our companies need us to do. If we all try to set up our data science teams and technology to be just like Google and Facebook, maybe we, we won't actually deliver um, the right value.
1: Yeah, and so w- one of the things we want to talk about today is something that potentially only Type B data scientists understand, fighting for the right to not party, but analyze.
0: It's good. I mean, hopefully there are our audience, and hopefully some of them are listening.
1: Yeah, and la- the last time we talked about some of these constraints, right, that data science projects um, and people trying to deliver data science projects must be aware of. Uh, and work through in order to, to get to the end and deliver the value that we've promised and that everybody yeah, agrees that <laughs> is, is probably there somewhere.
0: And th- th- they'd really like to see it. And so the take-home message from that, that discussion about you know, how you work on the right stuff and how you assess that value was this. It's not enough to measure success of data science by model performance alone or whether your models made it uh, to be deployed into an API endpoint. To work on the right stuff deliver the best value, you have to measure the impact of the project, not just with a monetary value, with a sort of theoretical ROI, but you need to consider how the business process might need to change to support the decision-making that you're trying to improve. Mm. It could be that you really cheaply and quickly build the perfect model or expensively and slowly build the perfect model, but nobody could use it, right? Because maybe the decision is currently being made using a spreadsheet and that model if it can't inject itself into that spreadsheet that's made by someone on a daily basis pulling together data sources you know that value that you thought you could deliver will never see the light of day
1: yeah and that constraint is is much more prevalent on the type B end of the spectrum yeah yeah right Facebook yeah. and Google don't have problems of oh who's going to use our algorithms that we've just spent weeks and months developing because yeah. they know upfront exactly where it's going to slot into yeah. their process and it's that
0: product management upfront strong product management setting that direction, yeah.
1: Exactly. Um, but today we want to talk about another constraint, which is at the other end of the data science workflow, right, which is at the start, is how you get your hands on the data to begin with. Which sounds, probably sounds silly for people who are in the type A context, um, but it also relates directly to like, how we want to distinguish this podcast mm-hmm. from some of, the other, some of our other favorites out there. Yeah. When we speak to data scientists at tech-first companies, right, it's become clear that people don't have this constraint of getting data.
0: Yeah, right. or it's, they don't even think of it as a constraint. It's a step in their workflow, but they would never phrase it as a constraint. So I once asked at a meetup, a data scientist at Facebook here in London, like how they get hands on the data and how they solve that problem of you know getting the data ready to do some analysis on. You he,
1: were trying to figure that
0: out. I was trying to figure that out. I was like, so how do, is the way we're doing it and the way we're going to talk about it shortly, is that, is that the best that, that we can do? Surely there's some leading practice. And the, the person replied completely straight face, and I completely believed him that there's like a whole team in data engineering that do that for them. So the data scientists formulate a request to, I guess, take all that log data that lives in Facebook and turn it into tables ready for analysis. They submit it to some data engineers who work on that problem and then they ping them on Slack or something when it's available. Mm. So they, they ask someone, the person goes away, and makes it, and then now they have their data. And I it's already in the right format on the right platform and they just go.
1: Yeah, and, and, and I think also if, you, if you've even done one online course or online tutorial mm-hmm. about data science, yeah. uh, you would also be led to believe that data science starts with you receiving a CSV file which already has data ready to analyze. I think sometimes they'll talk about like, oh, maybe sometimes the date formats will be a bit weird. Uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> they might have to do some data cleaning or something. <laughs> yeah, 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 but Yeah, it's already in a file and it's already a CSV and at least the same <laughs> number of commas it. per row. Yeah, even if you have to do a bit of date math or date formatting, or
1: yeah, but that's not the inspectors. kind of yeah. that's not the kind of work that we want to talk about in acquiring data. It's not cleaning that last step. <laughs> yeah, it, it's actually. I think if you've listened to to us talk so far, I think it's clear that in an enterprise context, that's just not how it we works.
0: We don't have a team that's generating perfect or even imperfect CSVs for us to effectively just start on our analysis right away. So most of the work is. You know, in enterprise data science is actually understanding where to get the right data from, in the enterprise, given the questions that you want to answer. You know, and then getting access physically, like getting your hands on it. We we say get our hands on it, not because we you know print it out and, and play with it, but that data is physically sitting in some system as ones and zeros. How are, how are you going to get it into a system you can use? Um, it's probably locked,
1: right? It's probably controlled by
0: some yeah. access control system that you yep. are not in, or just it's in a part of the business that you don't know yet. Um, and then even if you get it, how do you understand what the data is actually uh, about? So there's this really tricky thing that you need to do if you're a type B data scientist in an enterprise. You've got to both figure out what data is needed to ask and answer the question while you're also trying to ask and answer the question, which is, sounds a bit circular, but that's actually how it has to go down.
1: So what you're saying is that even if you have a clear-cut business question, uh, and the business empowers you to go and answer it, they're still the, going to
0: have to get the right data. Yourself. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the stakeholder out there in your sales team or accounts team or who comes to you with some kind of thing that might be solvable by, by data science, they don't already have all the perfect data to answer that question. Of course they don't. Mm. If you're lucky, they can formulate the question in a way you can understand. And, and, and make, make good guess of who to talk a, yeah, to. Yeah, make a good guess. What doors to knock on?
1: Yeah, because in a large enterprise like ours, and we've got lots of sibling businesses who do slightly different things and measure slightly different things and have slightly different data. All to do with vehicles being bought and sold, um, but it's not always clear who would have the specific thing or the specific kind of data that we would need to answer the question that we're trying to tackle at that
0: time. So, you know, if it wasn't clear already, our involvement (laughs) can't simply start with being handed that prototypical. Analysis ready data set um, that we just load into our favorite tool and just start exploring. So, you know, enough complaining. We, we talk about constraints. We don't want to be perceived as too negative here. So, how do we solve this? You know, it's not an easy thing. As I said, you know, at every meetup I used to go to, I asked people how they solve it. And I got a lot of answers that wouldn't work because we're not Facebook. You yeah, so this boils down to where do you begin if you're not starting with that Titanic Survivors CSV that I've seen? Hundreds and hundreds of notebooks on GitHub. There uh, must be someone out there trying to solve
1: a business problem using that exact data set. Or oh, what what wow. is it? <laughs> That's scary to think <laughs> about.
0: What is the business problem that is solved I, by Titanic Survivor's data I guess, set? maybe we shouldn't say there's someone working in a cruise ship company. Hopefully, how do we not repeat this? Or who do we save? How do we, uh, Yeah.
1: And, and the message we want to convey to our p- prospective customers is that as long as you're rich, you'll survive any kind of accident. Which you know, so. that,
0: that insight is derivable from the Titanic survivor dataset without any fancy algorithm. Uh, just a little bit of plotting will will we'll separate out that. Yeah. So the way that we've um, approached this and learned to approach it and improve this approach is not to really fight the problem. You know. You're not going to transform your enterprise and the way it gives you data into Facebook overnight. Your data engineering team, assuming you have one, and they're going to want to work on tools that make it easier for you to do your job and easier for them to do their job. They're not going to want to spend their whole day extracting data for you. Well, they want you to do it yourself. Yeah, yeah. And we would like to do it ourselves. Yes. But you, you know, you got to start somewhere. And what if you went, you know, you approached the business problem, and it's quite clear that you need to go to some other part of the business to get that data. Well, how we phrase that is you know, starting with the cheeky extract. So given the question you've got and your intuitions about where to look for answers, you find the right people in the business, be they business or technical, mm-hmm. you try and phrase the question about the data that you're looking for just right. You know, Don't make it appear like you want too much data, but also make it sound important enough that they should actually act on on the request. And then try to at least get some kind of sample of some of the data that you think you might need. And that's a really lot of contingency in that sentence because you don't really know yet and then you just have to keep in this early stage you just have to keep rinsing and repeating that process of knocking on doors can you help me i'm trying to solve this problem i know i need some data i don't know all the data that i need but you know i I need your help can you help me with a cheeky extract
1: what you don't need right is to involve all the people that that you'd require to for for like a full business case. Right. You, you don't want you don't want BAs, project managers, you don't want people having to sign this off.
0: You don't have to go to the CEO. You don't have to go ideally. to the CEO to
1: say, this is really important, could you tell your your th- this person and that person and yeah. that person's manager to, to tell the DBA to unlock the keys just enough. It's a enough. lot
0: more working sort of back channels and just picking up on what may already be lying around.
1: Yeah, because it could just be that someone forwards an email with an attachment that they received back in the day that you yeah. could
0: also look at. Maybe you know, it's a little bit out of date or it's not the like ideal format. Reasonably representative. Something right. to start with. It yeah.
1: could be a spreadsheet with 100 rows that somebody's asked for for some other purpose. Even that can be enough right, to get started uh, on exploring and answering the, the questions that you, you have because mm. you just want to get your hands on something that, that is substantial enough to put in your favorite analysis library and just get cracking To it looking um, at the
0: data. Yeah. So it doesn't
1: need to be a process because you just don't know up front what the data looks like.
0: Yeah, so but Investing all that time in that business case and involving all those people is just going to slow you down on a thing that you don't even know if it might work or not.
1: Yeah, you don't want to do that until you've seen the data. and even, even if you identify the right sister business, for example, they might mm-hmm. still not have the data that you're looking for, yeah. even though in theory they should do based on what they do. But maybe day-to-day. a service
0: provider for them holds the data and yeah, you don't, you don't know that until you start asking these questions. Everything we're talking about, this, you know, starting really simple, maybe back channels, using networks, using data that's lying around that other people have previously extracted, it relies, of course, on separating out at this stage all of the considerations related to putting things into production. Now, we'll talk in later episodes about how you can make that happen in enterprises, but for now, it's just not efficient to worry too much about all those production concerns, you yeah. The project may fail later because of politics between DBAs, but that's not worth it to think about right now.
1: Well, you won't get anything done if you think too far ahead. It's like, oh, yeah. well, this cheeky extract was really difficult to extract out of Bob, who works in the other sister business. How are we going to do it six months down the line when this thing becomes a at product scale, that we sell at day. scale? Yeah, Too early
0: for that. Well, we definitely know that we won't be able to do it if we don't prove the value up front. So
1: yeah, we need we need a solid business case to take to, to that business to yeah. give us the data, which we can only do by yeah. looking at the data. And those extracts. BAs
0: and PMs and those sign-offs will be useful at a later stage. But first, we've got to, we, you know, we use the cheeky extract to get some progress and yeah, get yeah. moving on the problem.
1: Yeah, we don't want a conversation about how do we repeat this data, how do we make get it consistently, who will
0: deliver it, what, to what SLA. Everyone will just freak out. There'll be meetings, escalations, <laughs> calls templates flying around.
1: Yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and we're in the discovery phase, right? And like, as we said, if we, can we even answer the questions
0: that we think we need with the data? Like it, yeah. That's the first thing we care about, not how would this don't happen? Don't worry about in that in DBA future. in the future, because maybe the question can't be answered with any of the data that we have, and we should learn that as soon as possible and exit ourselves from the project before worrying about orchestrating a perfect solution uh, down the road. And we found that one really simple question helps at this stage, to, to know how your progress is on that cheeky extract. Right. Uh, it might shock some people. Um, and the question is, can we count things correctly according to the business? It doesn't well, sound, is it counting, is that a new machine ca- learning algorithm? Um, I, I haven't heard about that. Uh, deep counting. I'm, I'm here to do data, <laughs> deep counting. <laughs> Intensive deep counting. World. Deep counting, yeah. Maybe count distinct occasionally, but count and count distinct, right? We joke sometimes here that you're not doing data science until you're doing count and count distinct. And, you know, lots of people get into data science because it's a sexy new field and they're going to do deep learning and machine learning and try out all these algorithms. But if you can't count the things that the business cares about correctly up front, the best model will not help you in any future universe. You know, we need to answer, what is a car?
1: Yeah, I, th- that sounds silly. Every time I talk to someone... On, was Dave, kind of, it's
0: obvious what a car is.
1: <laughs> it's obvious a car has... Four wheels. So, Ooh. so what about this van? Is that is the van a car? Mm, mm. Like that depends on the business context. It depends on the question you're asking. There are some
0: really small vans. You've been to Japan, right? Like you <laughs> see vans that are way smaller than some the largest vans. car in the UK.
1: So it, are motorbikes cars? Like if you're talking about retailing things, you might care about retailing motorbikes, but mm. maybe not.
0: There are four-wheel motorbikes. Yeah.
1: Caravans, yeah. You know, these things are in there. Yeah. You know, wooden pallets that are found in our auction system. Is yeah, and it? If Probably you, not a
0: car. How you count these things really matters for how you're analyzing the data and what you're proposing to do with it, again, to change that decision down the road.
1: Yeah, and what we said yeah. about, about counting things correctly according to the business, it's like we all have to agree what a car is before we start counting them or predicting how many there will be in the future.
0: Yeah, right? count parentheses one from table is not counting, counting the business, that's no. ac- counting it according to what some person who probably doesn't work here anymore decided to call that column when they designed the system. We probably can't, ideally we go and find and talk to that person, but counting it so that the business believes that you can get the basics right and that we're all looking at the same data to try and improve the decision.
1: Mm-hmm. So that's the first step, right? We, we figure out how to count things, great. Yep. And then, it's so important. what do we do next? So assume right now that we've got our small cheeky extract. answered some of these questions, like what is a car and and whatever else, how many of them, how many many did we sell, how many different kinds, how many did we sell, how often do they get sold, and so on. Um, Obviously, that generated tons more questions that we didn't know we wanted to ask because of the exploration. That's the whole point of the exploration phase. Is a small van a car? Is a small van a car, but also like follow-up questions of yeah. if we wanted to make this into a product, if we wanted to answer this at scale, what kind yeah. of things are we interested in, uh, which obviously necessitates us getting more data, which in turn necessitates more questions, uh, more questions and that you get into this loop. Them.
0: And so we, we call this kind of process, and the iterating through it, solving the Ford focus problem first up. So if something that you're trying to do works on the most common vehicle in the UK, it's probably worth continuing down that track. If it's not working on the on the vehicle where we have the best data coverage. Maybe we're heading down the wrong path. And it turns out that if you can solve the Ford focus problem, you now have a better case to ask for more of those kind of people's time and resources to get more data. Yeah, exactly. So, so now we've convinced
1: ourselves that this data
0: that we got backdoor access to yeah.
1: will be useful if only we could access a bit more of it.
0: Yeah, and right? we've done that several times and got slightly more and larger and more... Interesting extract. Yeah,
1: because it is possible to then say, "Oh, thanks for that extract. Can you also send blah blah blah?"
0: And that's a classic way, actually, to you know, you ask for something really tiny—just 100 records from the table—to sort of prove that you can get access at all. They mm. send 100. You say, "Could you just sort of send me 10,000?" Oh, what about everything? Is yeah. there a way that we can get me that cheeky extract?
1: Exactly. So, so then it's like, okay, we're, we've moved beyond cheeky extracts now. We want to start latching ourselves onto this. Like, how do we get access to the big data fire firehose yeah, yeah. Of, of actually getting access to the system, not via email extracts, but via actually getting access to...
0: I guess where the data is being created in that source system. Yeah, let's say
1: the SQL Server database that is sitting in... In another office somewhere, yeah. and the keys are controlled by this DBA. Yeah, it's like yeah. now you we. Got a
0: sweet talk for him. Uh, now
1: we want a business case of can we have a user account? Yeah. And we have some exploration and analysis uh, to back us up that yeah. yes, we, we think we can derive value from this data, but we need a bit more access now. So
0: here's the business question. We did all this investigation and legwork to work out that we actually need it. So we're not asking for, every, you know, for everything on the basis of nothing. We have a really good reason to ask for this you know, deeper access to where the data is coming from and as soon as you do that and yeah, assume, what happens then? assuming you solve that access problem, again another thing that you, know, you need to work out how to do in that, your enterprise
1: Yeah, we can't advise you on that
0: because that's some, different You might need all. to submit a ticket to IT right? again, you've got a lot of documentation behind that now you're not just some random person asking for all the data now, please um, so assume you get the, the, the access that you're after and now you look at all the data again And what you realize is that in making those cheeky extracts for you, whoever did it made a bunch of consequential assumptions and decisions about what they thought you wanted. And now when you look at this quote-unquote real data, you 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 turn on the engine of your car, you thought you were driving a Ford Focus, and now you realize you're on charge of this massive lorry and things are are quite different. You've driven that Ford Focus around a bit. You thought you were so familiar with this data because you've thrown all these questions at it and got more and more... Um, cheeky extracts and you're really feeling really safe about your analysis and then you see the real data and where it comes from and you're a bit clueless on how to get this you know big uh, lorry rolling and there's now even more work to do you you thought you were just going to take your analysis put it on top of even more data and everything would be the same oops exactly so yeah the questions that
1: you answered for Ford Focuses, mm. uh, or suddenly when you apply it to a Porsche, it doesn't work anymore yeah. because it's an edge case that just ha- didn't happen to be in the extracts that you've been receiving so far. And you do not even know to necessarily ask yeah. for you, that thing. Well, you don't know what's missing, right? Yeah, you, until you, until yeah, you get yeah, access yeah. to the whole thing, yeah. uh, which can torpedo your whole analysis mm. because all these, these assumptions that you said, they were abstracted away from you because yeah. your interface to this data was just, hi, Bob, can I have some more data? Yeah, so it, that that whole can you add some more
0: columns? Can you add some more rows?
1: Yeah, so all those decisions about what rows you need, what filters to apply,
0: and so on. Can you join on some other stuff that I know about?
1: Yeah, all those things are were abstracted away from you, so you yeah. didn't know that you you needed to to look at those. Uh, so when you do, as you said, do either do the same join, ask yeah. the same questions of the whole data now, uh, it explodes. For example, with duplicates, you know, yeah. you find this a lot. Like, oh, turns out they cleaned out the duplicates for you in some elaborate way. <laughs> But they won't share the SQL query with you. They just gave you some data, and so you have to figure out why are there duplicates.
0: And that's that's not like, that's not terrible. Like we're not ratting on the person there. It's like because they gave us some useful data. But well,
1: they, they probably thought they were doing you a favor exactly. but like, oh yeah, they they don't know this data. I know this data. I'll just filter this
0: column out of this thing. They wouldn't want to solve that duplicates problem, would they? You know? yeah. And they'd always want the same record out of the duplicates that I would want if I was extracting that data. But you know abstracting it away, they've hidden that very problem in the data from us. And so now when we try and scale our analysis, we thought our set of questions were pretty stable and the results, we were expecting to throw the same questions at more data and get more or less the similar results, Yes, particularly for Ford focuses. If those answers change radically, we're in some kind of trouble. But for us, you know, to, to make it real for us, we've answered those questions on little subsets of the data. And what we're trying to find out at this point is, can we answer the question in our case for every vehicle, can we take that business question that we thought was really robust on these extracts and we throw it at all the data, all the vehicles you know that we've ever seen can we scale our analysis to all of that new data, right, that our, our data cleaning, our data wrangling our summary statistics and our predictive models have not seen before uh, will it scale? And you're guaranteed to find out that it won't I guess unless your extract was Cinect Star, but even then if it came to you via a CSV that was emailed to you, there's always going to be some date date format. It's
1: <laughs> going to be some guaranteed, uh, and, but, but it'll be some because it won't be like stratified sample of all possible vehicles. So no, no. your sample is perfectly representative, and all you all you get by accessing the database not. is more of exactly more of the, the same, same stuff. Yeah. The same CSV, but twenty times yeah, bigger. So, so the
0: best off that you'll ever be is that there's a bunch of data that you never saw. Maybe it's quite a lot like the other data, but it's going to much more likely that you discover all these edge cases and you, know, you thought customer ID was always a positive and unique integer, but sometimes it's negative one. What does yeah. that mean? Because <laughs> there's lots of transactions against customer negative one. How, exactly. do, you, how do you deal with that? You know, so be aware of that. You know, the cheeky extract allows you to answer a lot of the questions. It doesn't answer the question, will my set of questions and what the answers I'm expecting scale to the whole raw data set you know coming right out of the source system but you'll get through it right it'll feel a little bit like some rework and a little bit strange to be doing what might feel the same thing but you will get through it and it's just about iterating and building up that intuition over time so assume you get there right now you're probably ready to think about production now's the time to worry about can we do stuff now's the time to worry about those production constraints so you know you've You've successfully scaled the analysis, you've discovered all the edge cases, you've dealt with all those duplicates, your joins are working as they were on the cheeky extract. Now it's the right time to worry about that. Ah, will the DBA give us permanent access to this on a schedule that would be suitable for production?
1: Yeah, but before then you didn't know to ask for that. You, there's no point going through the process of getting that robust access in the future until yeah. you know that there's something there. Until
0: we've proven the value in that data for the decision that we're trying to Improve.
1: Yeah, and I think the takeaway that, that we have from a lot of what we do here in data science uh, in the business world is that a lot of the time you have several phases of the same thing. So mm. we start with, okay, we need to access the data. That's our current phase. Yeah. So that starts with a cheeky extract, but we'll
0: take any data. at
1: this We'll stage. take any data yeah. at that stage. Then it's a phase of exploration, doing your exploratory data analysis, mm-hmm. all the stuff that you think is 90% of data science, but yeah. is only like 20. Yeah. And then it's, then it's, okay, I'm done with that, but then I need to go back and do the whole getting access to the data again, but just at a different scale, yeah. right? So it, it's the same activity, but with different requirements and obviously more knowledge of the data, of the systems, of the people, and so on. And it feels like you might be wasting your time doing the same thing. I'm like, Certainly oh, I have to go initially. back and get data again.
0: Oh, what do you mean? I've got to go talk to Bob again just to... Yeah,
1: he's already emailed me some stuff. I know there's things there, but I need data again. Yeah. But it's not a waste, right? And, and yeah. because at the first phase, you should shut yourself off from thinking about future phases, yeah. you, you end up repeating this cycle of getting data, exploring it, doing something.
0: Getting more data. Getting more data,
1: throwing different some, data. some
0: more sophisticated questions, answering those. Oh, now I know I need even more data and getting to that point where now I'm comfortable going to all the data mm. as we were just discussing with your eyes open, knowing that you are going to mm. discover even more complexity there. But also you know maybe opportunities to learn more from the data um, as well but it's not a waste and it's not it's repetitive but it's repetitive because you're going deeper yeah. as you go around that cycle
1: yeah so at that point after the cheeky extract it's totally fine to take a step back and effectively start that whole process again because you have different
0: needs in mind you are armed with that additional information mm. and and you've got with that additional information you can rethink your approach right and maybe the best thing to do now is a little different than what you thought. At the exactly. Start. I guess what we're saying here is that in the enterprise, in these constraints, the world is a little different than the kind of one-click. You did your analysis, you found the right answer immediately on the data that was all correct and available, and then you just representative put it and representative. You just put it into production. Uh, that's not how most of the half-stack data scientists who are, we think, most of the data scientists in the world are getting the job done um, every day. So. It's really okay to do things with that short-term focus in mind. Get some answers and figure out the next thing. That's what working with data really entails. Um, because we just don't know what we're gonna find. Exactly. If we, even if we get that perfectly clear business question, we still gotta confront that with the data. Yeah, the reality of what data do we actually have. Because there's lots of great business questions with huge value that if answered would you know, end world hunger. But if we don't have the data to get credible answers to that, yeah, and we only know when we go and try and get that cheeky extract and, and engage in that, in that process. Until we try that, no one knows what insights are hiding there in our data. Um, they're certainly not hiding in plain view until we bring the questions to them. And so what we've described, you know, is starting with a question and getting a cheeky extract and then a better extract and then a better extract and increasing the sophistication of your questions and then the coverage of your data and dealing with all those edge cases... To us, that's the best version that we've come up with so far of an iterative, do we say, agile process that, that we can follow and deliver value through.
1: So, I think briefly at the end of the last episode, we hinted that at some point we would reveal the secret of guaranteeing an exact delivery date for all your data science work. Is well, so that you're right? going
0: to tell me, based on this vague question, and you've never looked at the data before, you can tell me exactly when you deliver the production solution. Nope, uh, uh, we were just kidding. different podcast. Someone <laughs> else, hopefully someone else is running the one-and-a-half-stack data science podcast where they can guarantee, without looking at the question or the data, when the answer will be available. I guess for them, it's immediately.
1: Well, yeah, yesterday.
0: Yesterday. Before you asked
1: the question, I had already (laughs) answered it. But hopefully you get the feeling that what we've said so far about data science, especially Type B data science, is just too exploratory. Mm -hmm. We don't know what data is accumulated in our legacy systems, and especially at the very early stage of the project when we don't even know what data we have, what questions we can answer. Yeah. It, we don't even know when to stop asking questions yet. We don't know how many questions we're going to have to cycle through before we feel like we've understood enough to move on to the next phase of delivery.
0: Yeah, I guess we're not developing functionality that like this button should move this person from this part of the workflow to the next part of the workflow. There's a very clear success criteria on when to stop working then.
1: Um, yes, yeah, exactly. And so in the next episode, we'll try and tackle uh, telling you how we make the best attempt at estimating Um, time and effort in data science, which is a a very non-trivial problem. Um, But until then, thank you for listening.